Uh, In that day, declares the Lord, I will assemble the lame and gather those who have been driven away and those whom I have afflicted. And the lame I will make the remnant and those who are cast off a strong nation. And the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from this time forth and forevermore. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, King Jesus, this is your day, and we assemble now as your people. Uh, I pray that we don't come in here uh, um, trying to be something more than we are, but, but exactly what we are. We are a redeemed people who came to you with empty hands. We're, we're people who you saved out of the muck and the junk of our life, whether it was our wiling out or our moralism or whatever it may have been, our false religion or whatever we may have been up to, but you came and got us. You are the great rescuer, and you promised to do it from so long ago. You so long ago promised that you were going to gather a nation and a remnant people together to be yours. And not that we're some glamorous, put-together thing, but weak people in desperate need of the gospel. That you had to cross the gap to get to us. That you came to save us from ourselves. And you've shown us your grace and your mercy day in and day out. And I just pray for us, God, that we'd stop trying to earn your love And just rest in the reality of what you've done on your cross, paying the price for our sins and making us live. Jesus, we need you. Just pray you bless this word. Whatever's just of me, God, may it be forgotten. It's just dust. But the stuff of you, Lord, God, I pray it would just make our hearts sing and enjoy you more as we live. Jesus, God, we love you and pray these things in your name. Jesus Christ, amen. Okay, so we're back in Micah. We've been out of Micah for about three weeks. Uh, It has been a fun tour of what we are back in this amazing, amazing book. Uh, last time we were in Micah, we began this sort of what's called uh, eschatological section, meaning the stuff, uh, you know, the end of the world is probably the wrong word for it because that sounds really scary and Mad Max-ish. Perhaps a better way to think about it is the end of the world as we know it. Uh, or really to think about it, that Jesus Christ is going to come and restore all things. That Jesus Christ is going to take our broken world and put it back together. Jesus Christ is going to come and do the thing that you and I are incapable of doing. No amount of human will or human effort can fix everything. And something deep down inside of us knows that there's so much that's broken And we need some hope, and his name is Jesus, and he's going to fix everything. Uh, Everybody, everybody has a gospel. You know, whether it's the gospel of if we could just get on the metric system or or speak that universal language that William Shatner uh, perpetuated, uh, Esperanto, is that right? Esperanto? To? Esperanto. If we could just speak the same language, if we could just undo the Tower of Babel, if we could just be there, it would all be fixed. The reality is is that our gospel is not that we're going to come in and fix your life. Our gospel is not that we have some system for you to get involved in. Our gospel is the reality of Jesus. That's not just Anchor Church's gospel. That is the gospel of the church of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is our gospel. And in fact, when you get to know that Jesus is the gospel, you learn there's only one gospel, there's only one hope, and that's that God had to come down to get to us. Every other gospel is some way that we get up to God, or even just some way you fill in the empty spot in your life. You gotta try, I always say sushi restaurants, which betrays my favorite food, but we, we rest on that. You gotta try this restaurant, you gotta see this movie, you gotta see this thing. This thing will fill the empty blank in your life. It won't, it's dusty. 
Only Jesus will. Jesus is the only gospel. He's our only hope. And that reality of that good news that God himself came to us in our junk and in our mess and came and got us out of the pit of mud we had dug for ourselves takes on so many different uh, avenues and ways to talk about it. But today from Micah, we're going to look at the reality of the good news of the king. The good news is Jesus is the king and Jesus has a kingdom. And that kingdom was promised in Micah that, Jesus, that, that kingdom has come in the person of Jesus. And that, pers- that time is coming when Jesus Christ wipes every tear from every eye. When Jesus Christ puts the world back the way that he built it originally. And ultimately then we're talking about the good news of the restoration of the kingdom. Let's go ahead and dig into Micah. Uh, it's so important, and I hope that we're getting there as we're digging into Micah, that we, we don't neglect the first 78% of our Bibles. That's a lot of Bible. The Old Testament's a lot of Bible. The Hebrew, I, there's so many different words for it. The Old Testament's the easy one. I like the Tanakh because it sounds cooler to say, uh, but there it is. The Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, the Tanakh, they're all the same thing. The first 78% of your Bible, that when Luke, 20, and Luke 24, Jesus is really clear This whole thing is about me. And so as a people, as a community, as the people of God, I want you and me to be people who when we open up Micah, we see Jesus all over the place. Because Micah's in a weird spot. Micah doesn't know his name's going to be Jesus. We'll see in a couple weeks. He knew he was going to be born in Bethlehem, which is pretty awesome. Uh, But Micah didn't know. He just knew that God had made a promise that a king was coming. And that king was going to put everything back the way it was supposed to be. And the hope was not in chariots or Humvees. The the hope was not in gold or gold. We still like gold. I always say bullion, which is what you put in soup. Our hope's not in gold. Our hope's not in economics. Our hope's not in human systems. Our hope is ultimately in Jesus because it turns out every time you get a human system, as long as you've got a good king in the system, the system seems to work fine. And then as soon as that guy wants to act like the king, everything goes really south, right? We need the hope of Jesus. And so here we are in Micah chapter 6. In that day declares the Lord... A little tip as you're reading your Old Testament. In that day, when you start seeing that language, this is again, I use the $10 word. I already wasted my five silver dollar word, eschatological. It is always pointing to this reality of God's restorative work in the universe. And, and, I, and I think I said this last time we were in Micah, there's sort of two big camps in, in what's called, uh, what's in this, this zone of eschatology. Uh, there's sort of the people who are really obsessed with the details uh, you know, is it going to be Apache helicopters or the bear really means the USSR or whatever the, the thing is. And there's a whole other set of people who are like, I'm so weirded out by that, I just don't want to talk about it anymore, right? So there's one camp where they're like, oh, they, 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 they stopped using Apaches. Now they're using this other thing. That must be the scorpion thingy-majiggers, right? And, and this whole other camp that just says, this is so weird, I just want to stay out of it. And, and the bummer here is, is that the reality of the Bible is the whole thing is looking forward to the future. The whole Bible is looking forward to the future when God puts everything back the way it is supposed to be. And that is not meant for us to freak out and try and figure out Apache helicopter or you know, uh, uh, Black Hawk, this thing, the other deal. We're not supposed to freak out about that. We're supposed to look at that and see this world that just makes us cry and freak out and know that God is working in these things to put it back the way it's supposed to be. Jesus will return. That my life is a mess and Jesus fixes broken things. 
Was your life ever a mess? Your life might be a mess right this second, right? So, so often I feel like our lives oscillate between feeling my life's sort of a mess and really a mess. And the reality is that Jesus is in the business of fixing messes. And the world in which we live is in a mess. And Jesus is in the business of fixing messes. And not only that, but in the coming of Christ, the beginning of that kingdom, that restorative kingdom, it comes. And it begins to come into our lives. And we get these foretastes all over the place. Look around this room. You and I have nothing in common. Maybe like the one guy who likes weird stuff like me, right? The one guy who's into like, I don't know, I will stop there. It doesn't matter, right? What we have in common is Jesus. The fact that a people have come together in this room on, sa- on Sunday, good, Sunday, when you could be sleeping in, and we don't, if, if we didn't have Jesus, we wouldn't have anything, but the reality that we should probably be sleeping in is a foretaste of what God is doing to put everything back the way it's supposed to be. That Jesus is working in the universe. And these things are meant to make our hearts sing. The fact that there are broken things in the world that Jesus is putting back together. That my life is a mess apart from Christ and he put it back together. This is good news. In that day declares the Lord. This isn't the only time that it says it, but it says it throughout. And whenever we see this, in that day declares the Lord, we're supposed to look forward to the future coming of what God's going to do through his Messiah, who again, Micah doesn't know who he is yet, but you and I know who he is. So, I've had the the privilege and the blessing to take a variety of uh, theological courses in my day. And one of the things that a lot of the Old Testament people get into is like, well, you can't talk about Jesus because he's not, we don't know about him yet. So it's the Old Testament, so don't talk about him. The biggest problem with that is that's not what our New Testament does. Our New Testament looks back and back into the Bible and say, look, Jesus was God's plan from the beginning. Look how much it was God's plan that you and I broke everything. God makes everything good. Human beings break it. How much it was God's plan to fix everything. And that Jesus is going to come and fix it. It's all over the Old Testament, that first 78% of the Bible. In that day, declares the Lord, I will assemble the lame. Well, that's not really PC, and it doesn't really help my self-confidence. I will assemble the lame and gather those who have been driven away or, or gather those who have been scattered, right? I will gather the lame. Right? This, is, this is not just the end of the world. This is the end of the world as we know it. It's, 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 it's God looking out after the week and pulling this people together. I mean, I, I, I literally do not think I can say this enough. Jesus didn't pick you because you are awesome. Jesus picked you because he is gracious. You did not, cannot, and will not earn the love of God. Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay the price for your sins. You cannot do it. You can't balance your checkbook and Dave Ramsey your way out of it. You you, you can't moralize your way out of it. You can't have a clean enough record out of it. You can't positive think your way out of it. Those are other 
Dave Ramsey's a Christian dude who helps lots of people. There are plenty of other Oprah-ish gospels about you having some PMA, and if you're a hardcore kid, that means positive mental attitude, and if you could have that positive mental attitude, you can save yourself from your muck, and then the problem is the world is still broken, and I am still broken, and I still need a Savior every day. He will gather the lame. You're the lame. Not politically correct. So am I, though. Right? Can you, can you imagine? You got the biggest budget in the world, and you go to the used car lot, and you say, give me the worst car you got. I want that one. I want all the worst cars. Give me all the worst cars. You got some lemons? I'm in the business of lemons. Give me some lemons. This is the gospel. All right, we need to see the gospel here. And gather those who I have driven away. He's in the business of saving the lame. Um, if, you've, if you've been in Seattle for any amount of time, you may have heard this one. Uh, C.S. Lewis, one of my favorites, has a book, not one of my favorites, or specifically a scene in a book that's not one of my favorites. In the book, The Final Battle, C.S. Lewis has this proposal where the giant talking lion has uh, the bad guy come into the barn, and you're like, what are you talking about? Just follow with me. If you've never read it, it'll be okay. We'll get there. Um, and at the same time, if you're living in Seattle for any amount of time, someone's going to say to you, well, you're a Christian. Let me tell you this story. Have you ever read The Final Battle by C.S. Lewis? you ever had that one? Anybody? Let me tell you this story. So here's, here's the setup, okay? So there's a, there's a bad guy, and he's a bad guy, but he's a really good bad guy. He's really faithful to the pretend God that he worships and all the bad guy stuff that he does. And he comes into the barn with a talking lion, and the talking lion says to him, well, hey, I'm going to let you in to the thing, to the barn. He's gonna, it's a metaphor. He's going to let him into heaven. And the reason he's going to let him into heaven is because he was so good. Because he did, he was so good at what he did. Because he was so not lame. He was so not that guy. Now, what's the problem with this story when someone sets it up? Here's, how, here's your response, by the way. And if you're in here and you're thinking the same thing, you're like, yeah, that's right. I, I'm into that. That's the deal. Here's what's wrong with it. It's contrary to the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not you're the best so you get in. The gospel of Jesus Christ is you're the worst and I've paid the price for your sins and that's why you get in. Right? The gospel of Jesus Christ is not that you can get your way to God by being good. You cannot be good enough for an infinitely holy God. His holiness is good news. Our lack there is bad news. All our good deeds for the wrong reasons so everybody thinks you're awesome and you get a thing for giving food to the food bank and you get to write it off on your taxes or whatever that might be, whatever the motivation is. You know what the Christian motivation for loving people is? You've been loved. If you say, I have trouble being generous, I understand Jesus has been so generous to me. I'm just ripping off Jonathan Edwards here, by the way. I, I understand that Jesus has been so generous to me. I just can't be generous with my stuff. It's hard for me. Well, friend, I had to tell you this. If that's where you're at, you don't actually know how generous God has been to you. And when I'm in the same spot, that's where I'm at. When I'm not being generous, when I'm being selfish with my time, I can be generous with my things, right? But then my time, right? I want my time. I'm more introverted that way. At some point in time, you kind of need to charge your batteries. I can be selfish with my time. I can be selfish with one thing or another. And what I don't realize is that God never says, hey, man, I'm too busy for you. Hey, man, I'm too tired. I'm going to go to bed. Jesus doesn't ever run out. I miss, I miss the generosity that God's shown to me. And so if my problem is I can't be generous or caring or loving or kind, sadly enough, in that moment, I don't realize how much he's loved me because I can't ever measure it, right? It, it, it's not like Jesus has this big tank of love 
That sounds weird, but there it is. The big tank of love, and you sin, and so the tank goes down, and then he does some good stuff on the cross, and the tank goes up, and it's like, a, it's like on your gas tank or something based on your good works or his work or his kindness or whatever. It's the, because he's got this, because God is love, right? God is love. He doesn't run out. He doesn't run out. You sin, you repent. You sin, you repent. You sin, you repent. Welcome to the Christian life. All of it is repentance. He never gets to the spot where he says, if you sin and repent one more time, kid, doesn't say that. There's a magnitude of the love of God in there. And again, who's he showing that to? The lame. And those whom I have afflicted. That one's kind of weird for us, right? What's he really talking about there? He's talking about the people he's duking it out with. He's talking about his enemies. He's talking about those who are in combat with him. He's talking about those who are against them and he is against them. And what has God done with his enemies? Romans chapter 5. I'll get bailed out by the New Testament. Oh, no. Clip my mic one more time. Uh, 6. Romans chapter 5. For while we were still weak... Well, we are the lame, right? It's not a direct correlation. I don't want to cheat on my language there, but I, I, think it, I think it carries over. I think it's synonymous here. While we were still weak, at the right time, Micah's looking forward to it. We get to look back to it. It's the cross, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, his incarnation, the manger, the cross, and the crown. While we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Somebody somewhere is willing to jump on the grenade for their buddies, right? But not everybody. Not everybody. And how often do we have a sentiment that's sort of a, well, you know, he's kind of a bad dude. You mess with the bull, you get the horns, whatever. That's not what Jesus said of you if you're a Christian. And if you're not a Christian, that's not what he's saying of you right now. He's saying, I'll pay it. I'll wash you clean. I'll forgive you for your sins. I'll make you right with me. Through my cross, through my resurrection, come. Why? At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, still sinners, you didn't get your Sunday best song, you didn't get all cleaned up, while you're still in your mess, knee-deep in your mess, Christ died for us, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood. Right? Just Bible 101. I don't stand at the throne of God and say the reason I get to come into the kingdom is that I was awesome, and when I became a Christian, I joined Awana. Awana's cool. I'm not criticizing Awana. I joined Awana or whatever, and I memorized my Bible and I read it and stuff. No, 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 no. I say Jesus died for me. I joined Awana, read my Bible, and memorized scripture, not so that God will love me, but because God loved me. It's the actualization of who I actually am. It's the, it's the appropriation of who I actually am in Christ. Justified by his blood, much more will we be saved by him from the wrath of God. We're not enemies anymore. We're not picking a fight with God anymore. He crushed the beef between us and him. He ended the fight by getting what we deserve so that we could live. For if while we were enemies, 
we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have received reconciliation. Do not forget that that is only half of a gospel. If you only stop at Jesus Christ, pay the price for your sins, and you leave yourself with, now try really, really hard to be good for the rest of your life, you miss the gospel. Because the gospel is he's paid the price for all of your sins, wiped the record completely clean from now till the day you die, and given you life. Enjoy him. Enjoy God. You get to be part of the church. You get to minister to people and have people minister to you. You get to point people to Jesus and have people point to you. This is the point of what we do here, right? This is why we exist. To preach the good news to the lost. Not just me, you. You got work tomorrow, right? Because you got Mondays off. It's cool to have Mondays off. But you got work tomorrow, probably. You got play dates tomorrow. You got a park date tomorrow. You got your kids to do school with tomorrow or take them to the park because it's summertime. I forgot. It seems like fall. It's not fall. You're not taking your kids to school tomorrow because it's not fall. It's August or whatever. It's July is what it is. <laughs> My four-month-old decided that he'd like to sleep in the daytime and be awake at night recently. And so I think it's August. You're wiped clean. Back to Micah. And the lame, that's you and me, I will make the remnant and those who are cast off a strong nation. Now Micah gives us a gift. What's the gift? The 8th century old-timey prophet who died a long, long time ago gives us. It's what's called a theology of the remnant. It's that word there, remnant. You might see it in your Bible from time to time. Micah has the most robust theology of a remnant, which really says, hey, just because you're part of Israel and just because you do stuff, even religious stuff, if there's no love for God, you're not on the team. That there's a remnant, there's a faithful people. Even when, uh, a great one was, is with Elijah, right? You know Elijah? He, he has this weird moment where he has this, uh, you know, worship off with these other prophets from this other god, Baal, and he says, hey, you bring your sacrifice. I'll bring my sacrifice. You guys dance around it for a while. See if you can light it on fire. And I'll do my thing and see if God lights mine on fire. Whoever's lights on fire wins. This is a bit of the remix, but it's, it's all there. And so he says, hey, bring the water. Dig the ditch. Bring the water. Cover my sacrifice. And they dance around and they do their thing. And nothing happens. And he starts making fun of them a lot. And he prays real quick. And God just whoosh, lights it on fire. You know, that's what we do, by the way, just as an aside. This is your life as a disciple of Jesus. You read your Bible, you come to him, you pray to him, you honor what you believe, what it says in James, when it says you draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. We don't get our way to God, but we can bring some fire, we can bring some wood to the altar, he lights it up, right? Read your Bible, see if he wants to light it up. He does, by the way. I have James. Draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. Pray to him, talk to him, think about him, whatever it might be. Just pray that he'd like you, uh, pray that he'd make you enjoy him or pray that he'd move uh, in your life. But anyway, so Elijah does this cool thing, right? This thing that we're like, if I could just have something like that happen in my life, then I'd really believe. Then I'd be really solid. If God would just light something on fire, I'd, just a little pyrotechnics. It was like a Metallica show in my backyard, I would be in. 
well, at least that pyrotechnic part. I'll stop there. <laughs> What's the next thing Elijah does? You know? You know the story? First Kings? He goes off in the wilderness and says, why? Because this gal Jezebel finds out that he's done this, and she's like, get him. She likes the prophets of Baal, and get him, right? And so he says, God, you've left me alone. There's nobody else. And God says, no, 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 no. Stop crying. Get up. It's okay to cry. I cry all the time. I'm not saying you can't cry. I'm just saying, he tells Elijah, get up. He just saw this God move in this big, huge way, and his next response is like, it's all going to go down the drain, God. Like, God doesn't have that. He had the first one, but that one he doesn't have. You ever have that experience? Out of nowhere, God makes the mortgage payment. Out of nowhere, God takes care of things you didn't know were going to happen. And the next thing that happens, 15 minutes later, you're like, oh, no. He had that thing. Praise the Lord. He's so kind to us. He condescends. He loves you in that moment. Call out to him. When you're feeling weak, he did a big thing, and now I Hey, he actually knows you're a human. He actually came. Jesus Christ, Hebrews tells us that Jesus Christ came, tempted in every way, but knew no sin, had to be made like his brother so he could be a faithful high priest. What does that mean? In that weak Elijah moment, you can actually go to him, and he knows. He knows. But that, that remnant, that idea where God's like, but I got these guys. Elijah, chill out. God's always had people. God's always had a remnant. I am not afraid in a world where people are afraid of like, you almost hear people talk like Christianity is going to poof, go away. Why am I not afraid of that? Because I believe the Bible. There will always be a remnant. There will always be a people till Jesus comes who are faithfully waiting his return. He's been doing it. I mean, you look at the time of Micah. Everything has gone south. Right? You need to understand, when he's saying, hey, God's going to gather this remnant and this thing's going to happen, where we're sitting is the 8th century B.C. Uh, after Solomon, because Solomon was a schmuck, uh, Israel divides into two kingdoms, northern and southern. At the time that Micah is probably writing, the ten tribes that were in the north have all been taken away. They're gone. We don't even know where they went. <whistles> Disappeared. Right? There's probably some refugees rolling in to... He could even be down to just Jerusalem. The Assyrians are wrecking shop everywhere. Things are going poorly. And so when everybody else is looking like, this could be it. The Assyrians, I mean, who knows what an Assyrian is, right? Like, we don't think about the Assyrians very often anymore. But they were scary dudes. And they just took out half the country. They just took out the ten tribes. And they're rolling towards Jerusalem. And you got Micah saying, hey, God's going to do something big here. Hey, I know it looks like we're, it's all over. It's not all over. It's never all over with God. Do you believe that? You got a buddy? Dark. Lost. God never save that guy. Chances are, I think if we all stood up, I know I've said this before, but it bears repeating. If we all stood up right now, I bet most of us, if not all of us, have a story Or you'd be like, yeah, God would never save that guy. (laughs) Or somewhere in our family. Maybe maybe you're blessed enough to have faithful parents who taught you the gospel since you were little. But somewhere in your family, there's somewhere where you're like, yeah, but that guy? (laughs) The moonshine running guy? Got saved? The, I don't know. 
That's about where I run out, medieval stuff. I'm, I'm just making stuff up from Playmobil at that point in time. Um, and the lame I will make the remnant. So he's recasting the picture even here in Micah. The church is not full of super saints. The church is full of people who Jesus has saved. Praise the Lord. And those who are cast off a strong nation. Now here's where he starts making people uncomfortable. Because if you're an Israelite, you're thinking, yeah, God can put the whole thing back together. It's gone pretty poorly for us before, uh, you know, we were in Egypt. He got us out of there. I, I, guess he's, I guess he can do that kind of a thing. But this language he begins to use here and throughout Micah, it's a little different. And those who are cast off a strong nation, and from the rest of Micah, and it's important to pull that out, this isn't just talking about saving just Israel. It's talking about saving you and me. I wasn't born, I mean, maybe you were. Most of us aren't. And they say, oh yeah, he's got this special family, he likes them, he'll save them. But those guys off in the hills worshiping pretend gods? Not those guys. Not, not the Assyrians, not the Egyptians, not the French or the, they don't exist yet, 8th century B.C., or the, the Danes or the Americans or, or whomever, the Canadians, whatever. Not those guys. God seems to have a much bigger plan and a much bigger program for his kingdom to take these people and make them a strong nation. Uh, now, it's really clear from places like Romans 11 and Ephesians, uh, that it's not two different things. It's not the nations out there and then Israel. It's, it's one tree, one salvation being brought together by Jesus, which, which honestly, I think every time we get to this, it's so hard to, for us to understand this, how weird of an idea this is for us. But for Israel, the grace that's being shown by God, who's incorporating those guys out there worshiping the pretend gods, it's phenomenal. It's one more way that it's like God is in the business of taking his enemies and making them his friends. That's the gospel. God is in the business of taking his enemies and making them his friends. God is in the business of doing miracles and saving people. And the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion. Zion is a synonym for Jerusalem. And from this time forth and forevermore, Another weird thing that's so crucial. Did I say crucial? One thing that's so important. One of the things that's so important. From this time forth and forevermore. What's happening when he says, from this time forth forevermore? This is, again, we're in the middle of the 8th century. From where Micah's sitting, from this time forth forevermore? You mean when the Assyrians come and crush everything? Or maybe when Jeremiah, about 100 years later, and they do come and crush Jerusalem. Right? Or maybe the time of Jesus when the Romans have moved in and taken over everything. From, wait, present tense, from this time forth forevermore. That's a very good translation from the Hebrew. From this time forth forevermore. It's in the perfect tense. This is what's called the prophetic perfect tense. God speaks about the forthcoming reality as if it has already happened. Why? Because when God says so, it is so. When God says yes, the answer is never no. When God says you're his, you're his. 
When God says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you, he doesn't change his mind. And when God tells them, I'm going to put this thing back together, I'm going to rule from Zion, even though it looks like a long shot, it's as good as done, 8th century B.C., as good as done. Now, all this has to do with where we're standing. I said we're going to do three things. I didn't just say them in the front so you could write three notes on three points in your notes if you're taking notes. And then you're like, oh, good, I feel good. He gave me a security blanket. It's a structure. I like security blankets and structure. We're going to come back. So the kingdom is promised, the kingdom is come, and the kingdom is coming. Right? Because where's Micah standing? It's, it's all coming. It's future, and it's, I mean, it's falling apart. He's a farm boy from Shephelah. It's gone. The Syrians have taken it over. Probably taken everybody out. You know what I mean? Like, this is messed up. I mean, you, can't, you sort of can't stress enough. He's in a really messed up spot. You can't really stress it enough without getting gnarly about the Assyrians because they were gnarly. Right? We could talk about it, but they're just gnarly. You just need to know they're gnarly. You can do your homework. You can watch the History Channel. Don't watch the History Channel. You can watch the History Channel. Take it with a grain of salt. And the Lord will reign over them in Zion. So, so he's looking forward to this promise. It's coming. You ever get confused in the Old Testament? Just me? Everyone got the Old Testament figured out? Sometimes it's really confusing. And, and one of the things that we miss, how much it's about the end of the world as we know it. How much it's about God putting the world back the way it's supposed to be. Undoing pretty much about Genesis 11 backwards. Every tribe and tongue will speak and praise his name in the kingdom forever. Tower of Babel undone. Right? And you work your way backwards to really the big deal. People start dying and things go really south. Jesus is undoing all that. And yet somehow it's going to be better than it was before. Somehow in the kingdom of God it's going to be better than it was before. And you go through the whole of the Old Testament. And this is why we can say this is the good news of the king. Because the thing that was tying all of these promises together, a remnant. Uh, you know, everyone loves the Christmas card. Uh, to us a child is born from Isaiah 9. We take all the stuff about like crushing bloodshed out. We take that stuff. We, we remove that and just put the nice part on there. There's a lot of gnarly stuff in Isaiah 9. But it all ends up good. There's a king coming who's going to stop war. There's a king coming. It's always, always Psalm 2, Psalm 1, Psalm 110. There's a king coming. There's a king coming. There's a king coming. You know, we can think about Jesus as our buddy and that's fine. What we have a friend in Jesus, we just understand that friend of the king. And that, that, that thing that's tying it together is the king and the kingdom. The kingdom's coming. The king is coming. But the kingdom has come. The king came. All these promises in the Old Testament, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. If you're a Christian, you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. God himself has taken up residence inside of you. He's going to, gathering these lands. You know he's doing that right now? That first promise, he's gathering the lame. What do you think this is? Right? What do you think you are? <laughs> he's doing it. I got proof. A room full of proof. God is gathering sinners to himself and giving them life. He's doing it. He's still doing it. We prayed for people this morning. Missionaries going to Cambodia. Missionaries going to Tokyo this morning. We prayed for them when we got ready for service. He's doing it. Right? We got friends who are in the schemes in Scotland. Total jacked up mess. No Christians planting churches in the schemes. God's doing it. 
He's doing it in Seattle. He's doing it everywhere. He's doing the thing. It's come. He's doing it. He's saving me. Always love it. Paul says, you're saved, you're being saved, and you will be saved. Right? I am saved. I love Jesus. I am his and he is mine. And he keeps saving me for myself every day. And someday I get to be home with him forever. Or I'm just saved. Right? The kingdom's come. Now, of course, we get into this reality that we're in now, right? It's July and it's raining. That's the least of our brokenness problems. Right? Pray for a gal we've been praying for. You can pray for her. If you're following it with our, along with our church, friend of the church, the Range family, you know, 35 some odd weeks pregnant, something like that. I may have the number wrong. Finds out she's just full of cancer. Just full of it. They got the baby out safe. They can do chemo on her. And they're working on it, right? That's horrible. You're not supposed to just look at that and not cry about it. You're not supposed to look at that coldly and be like, well, you know, everything's going to be fine. Reality is everything is going to be fine. It's going to be fine when he wipes every tear from every eye. It's going to be fine when he puts everything back the way it's supposed to be. It's going to be fine when the king comes and when the kingdom has come and he sets up his rule and reign in Zion and the nations come to Jesus and the people that are here, the people of planet earth are the people of God. Because we're not, we don't, uh, it's not an eject button, right? It's not, I got to make it these some odd years and then I'm going go to go home to be with Jesus and ski or play golf forever. The story of the Bible is the story of Jesus Christ coming and putting the earth back the way it's supposed to be. Again, this is stuff because of Camp One Apache Helicopter Camp. Sometimes we miss it. We're just like, it's so weird. I just don't want anything to do with it. There's so much hope. There's so much ability to both weep with the weeping and tell them the good news that Jesus is at work. It's a both and. It's a both and. We don't just smile and get chipper. It's going to be okay. It is going to be okay. It's going to be more than okay. At the same time we weep. Because it's not okay. The kingdom's coming. He's ruling and reigning. Psalm 110, the most quoted Old Testament uh, scripture in the whole of the New Testament. He's ruling and reigning. He's seated at the right hand of God the Father. He's done everything that needs to happen for you and I in this world to be right with God. And he's going to bring it to fruition. The kingdom's come. And so just like Micah, we sit and we wait for the kingdom coming. The kingdom's coming. So what do we do with that? Right? So now what? Get a bunch of water and build a cinder block thing in my backyard and wait? Some chickens or something? No. No. Try and figure it out? Well, 84, 2012, 2000, Y2K? If I can figure it out, what good does it do me to figure it out? Here's what I figured out He's coming. He's coming and He's going to put it back, and we got a world that's dying. Needs Jesus. Disciples need to be made. Life needs to happen. 
I think it's actually more than that. It, our hearts are, to sp- are stuff supposed to make our hearts sing. I mean, we can spend so much time on the Apache helicopter, we miss all these other pictures in the book of Revelation. Every tribe and every tongue singing the praise of God. The, the marriage supper of the Lamb. Twenty-one, Revelation 21. Then I saw the new heaven and the new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, or Zion, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. That's the way it was in the garden. Adam and Eve got to be with God in the garden. They screwed up. They get everybody kicked out. Thanks, guys. But he doesn't just crumple it up and put it in the garbage. He begins working the plan to put it back together. See it? It's right here. What they had, we get. What they had, we get again. Okay? The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. You are a child. If you know Jesus, you are a child of the king. You are part of the kingdom reality. God's kingdom has come in Christ and is coming. Now and not yet. It is now. You, I mean, think about it. You get to be participants in this reality. You are participants in the restorative work of God. As the light of the gospel shines to the ends of the earth, as your kids are discipled, as your friends are told about Jesus, as you're at the gas station, somebody says, hey, I need to get some some antifreeze. Can you give me a buck? And you say, hey, how about I buy you some antifreeze? You bring them the antifreeze and say, hey, do you know about Jesus? Sometimes they say, yeah. That's why I sent you here, to give me some antifreeze. Sometimes you say, hey, do you want to hear about him? Here's some antifreeze. You can say no. I'm not being a jerk. I'm just curious. Buy you some antifreeze. Want to know about him? No, thanks. Okay. No one's ever been mad at me for buying them something when they couldn't buy it. Right? And you don't buy it, by the way. You give them the antifreeze either way. It's not, I'm going to buy you some antifreeze so I can buy some of your time. It's, I'm going to buy you some antifreeze either way because God loves me and I love you. And hey, by the way, while I'm here, you know about Jesus? He's really awesome. It's the best thing that ever happened to me. You're children of the king. You have royal standing with God in this kingdom. You are not just headed to the ski slopes of eternity, which sounds awful, by the way. All those eternal things that are other than Jesus all sound awful. Don't you think skiing would get boring? Golf forever is Boring. Jesus forever, infinite joy is not boring. If you're a golfer, I'm not that sorry, but I'm not trying to pick on you. But then the church, you and I get to be a kingdom emissary. We're ambassadors. I mean, the ambassador for Germany gets a cool car and stuff, but I'm an ambassador for a way cooler king, a way better king. We get to be the people of God who come together to sing out his, sh- sing out his praise, to, to take communion and remember to him. We can't say this enough, right? 
There's so many things you just can't say often enough. Communion is not a funeral, par- funeral parade. Communion is a party. Communion is where I stand and say, Jesus Christ has come. Jesus Christ is coming. He's made me his own. He's putting everything back the way it's supposed to be. Praise the Lord. Yeah, we consider our sin because I want everything out of my way to get to the enjoyment of the king. I want every scrap of junk out of my way, get it out of my way, my love of money, my love of this, my love of that, my love of this. I want it out of my way because I want Jesus. That's why I repent. I turn from my sin and I turn to Jesus. It's not just stop doing this stuff. Anybody can tell you to stop doing stuff, right? They got Nicorette for you to stop doing stuff. It's not just the act of turning from the thing. It's turning to Jesus in praise and adoration. And we do that together. And we help each other do that. And we live in community. And we get together throughout the week. And we spend time together. And we pray for each other. And we know each other. And we cry with each other. And we laugh with each other in a kingdom-oriented way. You will know that you're my disciples from the way you've loved one another. You and I get to love each other. We're a community in the gospel and that serves as raising the the Jesus flag in Seattle. Right? I'm sure the ambassador for Germany has a cool Mercedes or something. I'm sure it is German built either way. His flag is cool and all. Our flag's the Jesus flag. How do we raise the Jesus flag? By being Jesus people. By being Jesus people to each other and to the world. And if you don't know him, I got hope for you. The only hope is the kingdom. And a kingdom doesn't come without a king. The real hope is the king of that kingdom. If you're, not, if you're here and you don't know Jesus, you're here for a reason. A, because he's the king and he puts you here. Maybe you're kicking the tires. Maybe you've been up and down the Barnes and Noble spirituality aisle. Maybe you've been checking it out. Maybe you're curious if they're all paths up one mountain. Maybe that's where you're at. They're not. There's one gospel, one good news. Because all your models have you going up a mountain. I'm the only one that's going where he comes down. (laughs) Comes down and meets you where you're at. You're not earning his love. He's forgiving you. This is the reality of Jesus. Jesus is God who became a man to save you from yourself to life in him forever. Every other system is about how you earn your way to God somehow. And I'm going to tell you, as a guy who's tried Taoism, Buddhism, Viking paganism, whatever. I got more. doesn't matter. All those are about getting up to God. There's only one story, one truth, where God comes down to get to you. Because in that sober moment, you realize the chasm's too big. God's too far. And Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And the amazing thing about it is like, well, then what do I do to become a Christian? I want to love Jesus. I want to serve him. I want to be a Christian. What do I do? Well, I think he actually probably just did it. <laughs> a grace you've been saved, and it's not your own doing. It's a gift from God. Confess with your lips and believe with your heart. He's saved. There's, there's literally no more important thing in the universe than you would be saved that you would know God and enjoy him and love him forever because of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, you're the king, Jesus. I thank you that the the things you promised in the first 78% are being manifest in our lives so we just see it. 
Give us eyes to see your work in this church and in the churches of Seattle, in our community groups, in our Bible studies. I pray we would see the miracle of blood-bought sinner saints living to life. That we'd know. Lord, I just believe. I know that if we actually believed and tasted and saw, and I don't think we can actually fully apprehend this in this life, but if we could just taste and see how much you love us and how much you've done for us and how free we are in you. The kingdom is coming where we're just completely free and, and, and today we get to taste some of that freedom as a gift. Our life's a gift. The gospel's a gift. The cross is a gift. The resurrection's a gift. Forgive us for trying to earn a gift. But may we just know we got life. We got you. Help us to stop pretending and just be and respond and enjoy you, Jesus. God, we love you and praise you in your name. Jesus Christ, amen.